You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as regular listeners will know, I'd like to start off with a shout out to our new listeners. And this week, I'm pleased to say we have new listeners in London, Cardiff, Birmingham, Thurrock, Southampton, Manchester, Newcastle-Pontine, Nottingham, Derby, Bristol, Portsmouth, Guildford, Ipswich, Colchester and Swansea. We also have new listeners in Ireland, from Dublin, from Dieppe in France, from Barcelona and La Coruña in Spain, from Brabant in Belgium, from Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague, Utrecht and Groningen, all in the Netherlands, from Bayonne, Berlin, Hessen, Frankfurt and Dusseldorf in Germany, from Copenhagen, Hoverstaden, Schelland and Midtjylland in Denmark, and apologies to anyone in Denmark if I didn't pronounce that correctly, uh, from Stockholm in Sweden, from Prague in the Czech Republic, from Missouri, Freiburg and Valais in Switzerland, from Turin in Italy, Vienna in Austria, Zagreb in Croatia, Serbia, Istanbul in Turkey, Kampala in Uganda, Tamil Nadu in India, Beijing, China, Saitama and Tokyo, both in Japan, Brisbane and Adelaide in Australia, Rio de Janeiro and Brasilia in Brazil, British Columbia and Quebec in Canada, and then from our friends across the pond in the USA, this week we have new listeners in San Francisco, in Boston, in Washington DC, in Daytona Beach, in New York, in Dallas, in Fort Worth, in Memphis, in Jacksonville, in Los Angeles, in Battle Creek, in Atlanta, in Austin, in Pasco, in Cincinnati, in Rochester, and in Philadelphia. So, once again, a whole host of new listeners from right around the globe. A big warm welcome to all of you. And, of course, a shout-out to all my regular listeners on the GDPR Weekly Show. I know I say it every week, but I really do appreciate you taking half an hour out of your week to spend half an hour with me and catch up on the latest news in the world of GDPR and what's happening and what developments you should be aware of. As always, I hope you find the programme useful and entertaining. Do let me have your feedback. I love receiving your feedback. And uh, please send your feedback by email to podcasts at insurety.co.uk. And uh, I love it as they receive your feedback. I don't have time to reply to each one individually, but please be assured I do read each and every comment that comes in. And I welcome comments, whether they're positive feedback, negative feedback, or indeed ideas that you might have for future episodes things you'd like covered or indeed people that you'd like me to interview and we have a couple of interviews coming up in the next couple of weeks on the GPR weekly show and I think you're going to look forward to those. So in a few moments I'll be telling you what's coming up in this week's episode of the GPR weekly show. Check us out on Facebook. So coming up in this week's episode of the GPR weekly show we have news of La Liga the Spanish Premier League, receiving a red card from the Spanish ICO for using the microphone on the mobile phones of users who've installed the La Liga mobile app to listen in on users' conversations and, more importantly, to tell whether 
the person was watching a La Liga match in a bar or a pub or whether they were watching at home. We also have a details of an investigation into Spotify by the Swedish ICO. And we also then have a look at privacy policies in an article which we've titled Privacy Policies, The Good, The Bad and The Ugly. And you'll see why when you reach that part of this week's podcast. We then have details of a data breach at social sharing app Evit. And finally, just as we were closing for press, we have a article on a breaking data breach at a charity called Mermaids. Mermaids provide support to young transgender people in the UK and we now have news of a data breach at Mermaids and so we bring it to you right at the end of this week's GDPR weekly show. So as normal quite a mixed bag of articles. I hope that you find it all useful and entertaining and I hope you enjoy this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The Swedish ICO, uh, Data Inspectionen, have launched a review into how Spotify handles requests for people to see what information Spotify holds about them. Um, I'm sure that many of you listening will be aware of Spotify. It's essentially a music streaming service on the internet, uh, which has proven to be very popular and indeed um, has quite a number of subscribers in the UK and indeed right across Europe. The Swedish ICO say that they became aware that there may be some shortcomings in how Spotify handles registry extracts including that the data provided to people making the request for data from Spotify is not a complete record of what data Spotify is holding on the individual and also that the information is not sufficiently clear. This perhaps does highlight an important point with GDPR which is sometimes missed which is that it's not enough to simply supply a person making a data subject access request of you with simply the data that you hold about them if the data is not reasonably easy to understand. And what certainly we always say to our clients is that if you're providing the data and there are technical terms or acronyms within the data which Joe Public is unlikely to understand then it's well worth including a glossary with the data that you send so that people can look up what certain terms or what certain acronyms mean. Uh, Swedish lawyer Karen Ekstrom said because Spotify handles a large amount of data on a very large number of users it's important that the user's request for registry extracts are handled correctly. You have the right to turn to a company authority that processes your personal data and through a registry extract to know what the information is. You should also get information about how the data is used described with clear and simple language. What is interesting is that the Swedish ICO has also issued 
a PDF um, containing all the questions that it is asking of Spotify and we may come back to that in a later episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Um, as it is, the Swedish ICO has given Spotify until the 1st of July to provide the answers. On its part, Spotify says that it will cooperate fully with the request and his spokesman said that Spotify takes data integrity and our obligations to our users very seriously. We welcome data inspection and questions about the processes we have in place to ensure that users receive the information they are looking for and are entitled to under GDPR. The actual inquiry came about because of a complaint raised by Matt's Srems, whose name you may have heard us mention before on the GDPR Weekly Show. He's already um, issued requests to the relevant ICOs for uh, Apple Music, SoundCloud and YouTube and it appears that he's now turning his attention to Spotify. On his part, Matt Srem said many services set up automated systems to respond to subject access requests but they often don't even remotely provide the data that every user has a right to. Uh, and he's filed the complaints with the Austrian Data Protection Authority. So, again, this is probably one that is going to run and run. So as we get an update either from the ICO or from Spotify, we'll be sure to bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. And as I say, we will also have a feature on uh, the actual questions which the regulator has asked to Spotify and I will look to bring those to you probably in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show as I currently only have them in Swedish and I need to get them converted, uh, translated into English. Um, but I will do that this week and I'll give you an update on that in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Everyone knows that as part of GDPR, one thing that's become crucial is to have a good privacy policy on your website. And indeed, for most organizations, you now need two privacy policies, one for end users using your website and one for your own employees, because obviously the data you hold about people and the way you process it is probably very different for people outside your company, your clients and suppliers, as against your employees themselves. But if we accept the privacy policy is all important, and one of the things which GDPR, probably some justification has been accused of doing, is it may have made privacy policies a bit simpler to understand, but it's also made them a lot longer in length. And so a question which is often asked is, does anybody actually read all of a privacy policy? Well, in a survey conducted by Eurobarometer, who published their results this week, they found that 60% of users in the UK and across Europe, 60% of website visitors, claim to actually read at least part of a website's privacy policy. And one in seven visitors claim that they read the whole thing. And so 
We were interested as well this week to see that the New York Times had conducted a survey into how easy or difficult privacy policies were to read and comprehend. They picked 150 popular websites and read all their privacy policies and in their own words the conclusion they came to was that the privacy policies taken as a whole were an incomprehensible disaster. They found that most privacy policies were verbose, full of legal jargon, and opaquely established company justifications for collecting and selling your data. The data market has become the engine of the internet, and incoherent privacy policies uh, don't don't help people to understand that and help fuel it. So just how difficult were they to read? Well, if we take just a, a subset of privacy policies, and so we're looking at ones from Craigslist, Yahoo, the BBC, Facebook, GitHub, Uber, and Airbnb. Facebook sort of lands in about the middle of those. And their privacy policy, if you read it in its entirety and take a little bit of time to just ponder it, takes an average reader around 18 minutes to read. Obviously, that's quite a chunk out of somebody's day. So it's small wonder, perhaps, that only one in seven people bothers to do that. And the rest of us skip to the bottom and can't find the button to click. I agree quickly enough. Um, but not just looking at how long they took to read, we also had to look at how complex they were. Obviously, complexity is a subjective thing, but our results were that by far the easiest to read was the good old Beeb, good old auntie. Um, the BBC's website, we found their privacy policy particularly easy to read. A little bit up from that, we found Craigslist on about an equal level where Yahoo, Facebook and Uber. And then the trickiest one out of the ones which we chose to read was Airbnb, which was a real struggle to read and comprehend. So let's try and put this into context. And again, I'm just going to pick on Facebook here, not because I fancy picking on Facebook, but because they're well known. We compared the readability of Facebook's privacy policy against some well-known novels and just to judge which was easiest to understand. And the only novel we could find which was harder to understand than Facebook's privacy policy was Immanuel Kant's famously difficult critique of pure reason. Novels that we found easier to understand than Facebook's privacy policy were A Brief History of Time, uh, Great Expectations, Pride and Prejudice, and by far the easiest to understand, but perhaps not surprising based on the audience it's aimed largely at, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Maybe uh, Facebook ought to get J.K. Rowling to write their new privacy policy and then perhaps it would be easier for everyone to understand. But Facebook are by no means the worst. As we say, Airbnb was a real, real challenge. And by far the hardest to understand was actually CNN. And uh, just because it was dense, chunky, really difficult language to understand. But the BBC, by contrast, now, hey, it's great to have a good story about the BBC, especially this week. The BBC has an unusably readable privacy policy. It's written in short, declarative sentences using plain language. 
If we take an example, here's how the policy outlines the BBC's guidelines for collecting and using personal data, and I quote, We have to have a valid reason to use your personal information. It's called the lawful basis for processing. Sometimes we might ask your permission to do things, like when you subscribe to an email. Other times, when you'd reasonably expect us to use your personal information, we don't ask your permission, but only when the law says it's fine to use it and it fits with the rights you have. And that's it. One paragraph. Lovely. If only they were all that simple to understand. Airbnb, on the other hand, is particularly inscrutable. It's full of long, jargon-laden sentences that obscure Airbnb's data practices and provides cover to use data in expansive ways. If we just take an example, here's how Airbnb justifies collecting users' personal information. It uses vague language like adequate performance and legitimate interest, which allow for a wide range of interpretation, which of course provide flexibility for Airbnb, make it easier for it to defend if it ever got challenged in a lawsuit. And again, to take one paragraph from their privacy policy, this information is necessary for the adequate performance of the contract between you and us and allow us to comply with our legal obligations. Ah. There you go. That tells you all you need to know, doesn't it? If we look at Google's privacy policy, it's interesting to look at it over the last two decades. It's, it's just got increasingly longer and longer and longer. And although they shortened it a bit in 2019, the reading time for Google's privacy policy went up from two minutes in 1999 to a peak of 30 minutes in 2018. Half an hour. Just to read a website privacy policy, is it any wonder that people don't actually read them? It has to be said, though, in Google's case, it actually did serve a purpose, bringing in GDPR, because it meant they could chop and change their privacy policy, shorten it down a little bit, so they took the reading time down from 30 minutes to about 20. But even so, it's still 20 minutes. So let's hope that we can all do our bit to make privacy policies simpler. We should bear in mind that privacy policies is a consumer tool. It's not designed, or shouldn't be designed, to be a document created by lawyers for lawyers. So we're working with our clients and we hope that maybe you'd like to work with us too in trying to simplify the privacy policies that we issue to our clients and they use on their websites to their end clients so that we can make them as concise as possible and also as simple to understand as possible. Certainly there's still work for all of us to do. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We are getting an increasing number of our customers now already contacting us to arrange an audit, as now it's coming up to towards a year from when GDPR came in, and they want to make sure that they're operating as they should be. And we'd like to offer this service out to all of you, all of our listeners. Uh, so if you'd like us to perform an audit on your GDPR uh, operations and make sure that you are recording everything you need to be, that you have all the necessary procedures in place and that you know how to action those procedures, please do get in touch with us via podcasts at insurity.co.uk. That's podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at insurety, E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y dot Please make the subject of your email GDPR audit. 
and we'll get the relevant person to contact you. Um, we're able to carry out audits either on-site or remotely and for a pleasantly low cost. Um, I'm sure you'll be pleasantly surprised with the figure we're able to provide you with for providing the audit. I can't give a global figure here because it does affect, it does depend on how many employees, or how many customers, how many records, etc. you have. Um, but please do get in contact with us. It's totally without obligation, but do get in contact with us to arrange an audit because uh, if you do want the audit done around May or June of this year to be annual from when GDPR came in, we are rapidly filling our diaries for that period. So uh, don't delay, do get in touch, do it this week and we'll be pleased to provide you with a quote. And for the first five of you to contact us to request a, a data audit, a data breach audit, I'm pleased to be able to say that we will provide that to you for 50% of our normal fee. But that's only for the first five of you to contact us as a result of this podcast. Check us out on Facebook. Evite, a social planning and e-invitation service, and one of the biggest sites on the internet has officially admitted that it's had a data breach. Uh, Rumours have been circulating that Evite had had a data breach since April, but it's only just confirmed that it did indeed suffer a data breach, and the breach was carried out by a hacker by the name of Gnostic Players, who has put up for sale the customer data of the company. Uh, Gnostic Players claim that they are selling 10 million Evite user records, they include full names, email addresses, IP addresses, and passwords in clear text. For their part, Evite say that no financial information was taken because Evite used a third party for performing all uh, financial transactions, and so there was no financial information held on Evite's servers. In a statement, Evite say that they tracked the incident to malicious activity which they believe began on February the 22nd, 2019. Evite said the malicious intruder had stolen an inactive data storage file that was holding information on some Evite user accounts. According to the company, the file, which they say was an old backup, didn't store any user information more recent than 2013. As part of its remediation efforts, Evite has said it would be prompting users to reset their passwords the next time they log into the service. Evite also provided a clearer image of what was stored inside the file the hacker stole from the server. They say that potentially the information could include names, usernames, email addresses, passwords, and if the user had provided the following to Evite, date of birth, phone numbers and mailing addresses. So whilst there was no financial information stolen, that would of course provide uh, a hacker with plenty of information to carry out identity theft. And so it is a serious um, data breach and we don't yet know how many of the 10 million users are within Europe, but we understand that Evite have reported it to the ICO. Uh, 
If you've not heard of Evite, Evite is currently ranked among the Alexa top 3,000 most popular sites on the internet at position 2,744. And in 2018, the site claimed that it had 100 million annual users. The service is actually one of the oldest sites still operating, having recently celebrated its 21st birthday. It was founded in 1998. This is not the first time that data has been taken from Evite, but it's by far the largest data breach. And as we get more information on it, we'll bring it to you in a future edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. La Liga, the equivalent to our Premier League, but in Spain, is facing a six-figure GDPR fine for inappropriately and covertly accessing the microphones of fans who were using the La Liga cell phone app. La Liga, for its part, says the privacy watchdog is barking up the wrong tree. Um, What the app was doing was using the microphones of fans' mobile phones who had the La Liga app installed to listen to the commentary of football matches that the uh, users were listening to, were watching on their TV. And in particular, it was picking up the background sound. The reason for doing this is because right across Europe, um, not just football bodies, but also things like Formula One, uh, rugby, cricket, all the main sports organisations, charge a much higher subscription fee to pubs and bars for having TV showing sports fixtures in their bar than they do to you and I are sitting at home just watching it on our own TV. And what La Liga latched onto was the fact that, hey, they could put useful information into their app, which would mean that users would have the app on whilst they were in the pub or the bar. At the same time, they could listen in to what was being said or the general background hubble and bubble, and establish that the person was in the bar, and then by using location matching, they didn't work out which bar the person was in, and obviously could then check whether that bar actually was paying the subscription to show the matches at the commercial rate. But they didn't make this at all clear in their documentation to users when they installed the app. It's estimated that some 10 million people in Spain have the La Liga app on their mobile phone. And so as you can see, that's actually a massive base of information for La Liga to analyze. All of this has not impressed the Spanish watchdog AEPD, their equivalent to our ICO who have slapped a fine of €250,000, which is about £222,000, dollars for not following the rules and not notifying users of what the app was being used for. 
the APD ruled it was a clear violation of GDPR and indeed they criticised the Liga for using such a devious method for keeping an eye on pirates who were potentially avoiding paying a big bill. All the Liga did do was ask via the app whether the app could make use of the microphone but they didn't make clear why it was doing it and it's now been established on looking at the app closer that the app was actually checking about every minute or so what was being said, what the background noise was, where the app was being used. And obviously it's has much bigger privacy implications because, you know, it's not just the fact they could listen to the fact that the background noise was in a bar. It could have been any other conversation and the Liga would suddenly have been a party to that conversation and clearly that's just not right at all. For their part, the leader have issued a statement saying they plan to challenge the ruling in court and they say that the leader disagrees profoundly with the decision, rejects the penalty imposed as unjust, unfounded and disproportionate and considers that AEPD has not made the necessary efforts to understand how the technology works. As a result, it will challenge the ruling in court to demonstrate that its actions have always been responsible and in accordance with the law. Well, we will keep a closer eye on this one because it's an interesting case and raises some interesting issues. But on the face of it, as we look at it at the moment, I would say it's indefensible. Um, you know, there is no excuse at all for the leader making use of the microphone for this use. It just does not tie at all. Um, but anyway, we will see what happens. And as we have any updates, we will bring them to you in a future edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. As we close for press with this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, uh, news is breaking of a data breach at a charity called Mermaids UK, which is a charity supporting transgender children and young people, uh, which appears to be a data breach in which thousands of emails have been made public online. Mermaids UK said it was deeply sorry for what it called a historical data breach after the data breach was first reported by the Sunday Times. The paper claims the correspondence included intimate details, names and addresses, etc., but the charity denies this. Mermaids said it had taken immediate action and reported the breach to the ICO. In an official statement on their website, Mermaids said that they had taken immediate action following the notification of the data breach by the Sunday Times on the afternoon of Friday the 14th of June, so a couple of days ago. They say that Mermaids immediately took action, they notified the Information Commissioner's Office, the ICO, and they are also confident that the breach was immediately remedied. The scope of the breach was that internal Mermaids emails from 2016 and 2017 in the private user group were available on the internet, but only if certain precise search terms were used. Mermaids understands that the information could not be found unless the person searching for the information was already aware of the information that could be found. In addition to the immediate action notification to the ICO and remedying the breach, the following further actions have already been taken. 
Mermaids are contacted all those affected, according to ICO guidance. Mermaids have contacted the families and stakeholders. The trustees of mermaids will instruct an independent third-party expert to report to the trustees on the breach. Mermaids have also reported the incident to the Charity Commission. And mermaids have rapidly examined all the information so as to ascertain any other measures which need to be taken. Mermaids say that the material consisted of internal information involving full and frank discussion of matters relevant to mermaids. The information, seen in its actual and proper context, is normal internal information for a group such as mermaids. The information shows that mermaids take its responsibility seriously and that there is candid internal consideration of all issues. So the overall position is that there was an inadvertent breach which has been rapidly remedied and promptly reported to the ICO and there is no evidence that any of this information was retrieved by anyone other than the Sunday Times and those service users contacted by the journalist in pursuit of their story. Finally, mermaids say that they apologise for the breach. Even though they have acted promptly and thoroughly, they are sorry. At the time of 2016-2017, when it's believed the cause of the data breach originated, they point out that mermaids was a smaller but growing organisation. Mermaids, they say, now has the internal processes and access to technical support, which should mean such breaches cannot now occur. So it looks like they've got it pretty well under control, and let's hope that they have. There's a kind of irony of this story breaking on Father's Day, of course, when this is a uh, charity that deals with children, and no doubt the uh, Sunday Times will be able to say whether they took that factor into account when they chose their time for breaking the story. Who knows? But it does look like mermaids have got it under control, as far as we can tell. Um, Mermaids was formed in 1995 and is the country's leading charity in services offering support around gender and identity to children and young people up to 20 years old. It recently received half a million pounds in funding from the National Lottery Community Fund. Obviously this is a very um, early in the breaking of this story and so that's really all we can tell you at the present moment in time. But if we hear more in, in the next few weeks, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback. I send an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an Insurity production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurity.